In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, love him, and better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at Sira Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics. So this winter, join me in Dallas, Texas, alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity, the mercy to mankind, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Go to seerahintensive.com to register and for more information. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Asiratul Nabawiyah, the prophetic biography. Um, Inshallah today we'll be starting with the sixth year of Hijrah, which is the sixth year of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's residence in the city of Medina. What we've talked about so far based off of that, is of course we concluded the fifth year. The fifth year is most notable uh, because of the major incident of the Battle of the Trench, or the battle against the Allied armies, Ghazwatul Ahzab, also known as Ghazwatul Khandaq. And then there were some events, notable events in the aftermath of that as well, such as the incident of Banu Quraidah. We talked about the conclusion of the fifth year. In the beginning of the sixth year, we'll start off by talking about so the, the thing that I wanted to mention here is that the incident of Banu Quraidah occurs at the very tail end, at the very end of the fifth year, going into the month of the Hijjah. The Prophet ﷺ, after the resolution of Banu Quraidah and their situation, the Prophet ﷺ returns back to, of course, Medina. He resides in Medina, completes the fifth year there, and the first few months of the um, month, uh, the first few months of the sixth year of Hijrah as well. Muharram, Safar, Rabi'ul Awal, Rabi'ul Akhir, or Rabi'ul Thani. The Prophet ﷺ maintains residence in the city of Medina and tends to the community once again. In the month of Jumad al-Ula, the Prophet ﷺ got together a couple of hundred Sahaba and the Prophet ﷺ set out to resolve uh, a situation that had transpired, that had occurred two years ago. So we'll be going two years back. And we'll be going back to around the same time, the beginning of the fourth year of Hijrah, to an incident known as Ar-Rajir. Now what happened at the incident of Ar-Rajir, to refresh our memories, was that a man came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said that, O oh, Messenger of God, I have... Uh, you know, I have my tribe, my people, and they are very interested in Islam, they are very intrigued by your message, and I'm hopeful that they will become inclined towards Islam and possibly even accept Islam. So if you could send with me some individuals that could come over there and relay the message to them and talk to them and, you know, uh, hopefully, basically convert them to Islam. The Prophet ﷺ, some narrations mention six or seven, the most the narrations mention is ten individuals. The Prophet ﷺ assigned ten individuals and sent them with this particular individual. When they reached the place of Ar-Raji'ah, 
he had actually set up an ambush. And they ended up, and the tribe that had worked with him in this ambush, his own tribe had refused to take part in this, but he was able to uh, he was able to recruit some help from the tribe known as Banu Lihyan. And they basically showed up there, about a hundred archers surrounded them, they were in a valley at the place of ar in a low point, and they surrounded them with a hundred archers, and they said, surrender yourselves, give yourselves up, and we will not kill you, we will not harm you. The, the ten companions who were there consulted with one another, and they said, you know what, these people are probably going to lie, and they're probably going to do something terrible to us, torture us, or something even worse. So they said, let's just go out, you know, fighting. And they started to fight and eight of them were killed at this time. Two of them survived. Their names were Khubayb and Zayd, radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. Khubayb and Zayd were then captured and they were taken to Makkah and they were sold to the Meccans. Now this is the fourth year of Hijrah, so this is after shortly after, and it's the beginning of the fourth year, so it's a few months after the incident of the battle of Uhud. So it's a a little while after Uhud. The wounds of Badr were still there. Uhud had further, you know, created even a greater, you know, animosity between the Meccans and the Medinans. So he takes them to Mecca and he auctions them off. He sells them off to the highest bidder. And a couple of the families in Mecca who had lost you know, family members in the Battle of Badr and the Battle of Uhud, they ended up purchasing them. And then they kept them prisoner for some time. And eventually they, ha- they conducted a public execution, where they made a public display and a public debacle of this. And they executed them publicly in front of everyone and made a big show of it. And we talked about it in a lot of detail. You can refer back to the podcast or the recordings. But it was a very you know, beautiful narration as well. Because at the time that they were being executed, one of the incidents talked, uh, mentioned that one of them uh, requested a blade to be able to just kind of like clean himself up a little bit. And as he had a blade, one of the children of the home wandered off and came to him. And everyone in the home freaked out that he might try to, you know, take the kid hostage or take the child's life or something of that nature. So he ended up looking at them and said, why are you so worried? Are you, do you actually think I would harm this child? I would harm an innocent child? You are mistaken. You still don't understand what we're about. And not only that, but then at the time of the execution, it's mentioned that they requested the permission and the opportunity to be able to pray. And they prayed two rak'ahs and one of them said that if it was not for the fact that you would accuse me of prolonging the inevitable, I would have prolonged my prayer. And eventually they were asked at the time of the execution that would you, if you could, if you could trade places between you and the Prophet ﷺ, you could be back at home with your family and he would be here uh, answering to us. Would you take that deal? And again, they both responded by saying that you still don't understand. That I would not tolerate if, if in exchange for me being home with my family, and all it would cost, all it would take for me to be back home safe and sound with my family, was the Prophet ﷺ receiving the prick of a thorn, I would not make that deal. I would not make that trade. And they were eventually 
executed, and one of them very terribly, they actually left his body kind of hanging up uh, as a display. And some of the Sahaba basically, they came and they snuck in and they took his body down and buried him at that time. So this had happened two years ago. The Prophet ﷺ had not forgotten about this ghadar, this betrayal by the people of Banu Lihyan and what they had done. So the Prophet ﷺ, but they had of course obviously been very busy and preoccupied with everything that had transpired in the meantime. So now that they had somewhat of an opportunity and a lot of that area within Arabia had been put on alert that they could not just take the Muslims for granted and you know kill them off and wipe them off um, that they basically the Muslims felt a sense of comfort and confidence so the Prophet ﷺ said we need to now go and avenge our brothers and the Prophet ﷺ marched in the direction of Balun Lihyan and the narrations mentioned that part of the intention of the Prophet ﷺ was that he would go there to Banu Lihyan and he would first give them the opportunity to be able to offer the financial remunerations that would be made on behalf of the life of a person. The diya, the aqila. That the blood money that was paid for the killing or the death of an individual, that the Prophet ﷺ would give them the opportunity to be able to make those reparations. And if they weren't willing to do so, then at that time necessary steps would be taken. It would result in some type of conflict. So the Prophet ﷺ, he gathered together the Sahaba anhum, And the Prophet ﷺ initially marched out of Medina to the north in the direction of Asham to kind of throw any scouts or spies that were in the area off their scent. And then they turned direction and they came towards the people of Banu Lihyan. However, when they arrived there, at that time, the people of Banu Lihyan, through their spies and scouts, they had already received the information that the Muslims are marching in your direction. So what they did was they left their town, and they retreated up into the mountains, and they had a small fortress that was built in the mountains, and they had you know, fortified themselves therein, and locked themselves up inside of that fortress. The Prophet ﷺ decided that this was not going to be worth the trouble to lay siege to them, and this was not worth you know, the, the degree of difficulty that it would involve. However, at that time, something else ends up happening, and that is that the Meccans find out that the Muslims are in this place of Ar-Raji'ah, where this transpired, it, and the, the Banu Lihyan actually lived at a place called Usfan. And Usfan is between Mecca and Medina, but a little bit closer to Mecca. Alright, so the Quraysh ended up receiving news that the Muslims are not too far outside of Mecca with an army. So they send Khalid bin Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu with the cavalry to go out there and to meet the Muslims. So they came and they faced off against the Muslims. And so the Muslims are facing in the direction of Mecca, Khalid bin Walid with the cavalry comes up from the other side. So they are in between the Muslims and Mecca. Even though the Prophet ﷺ had no intention to go to Mecca at this particular time. So they're kind of faced off now. It's a little bit of a standoff situation. Both armies are kind of camped out, you know, across from one another. And everyone's just kind of playing this, the, the staring game, trying to figure out exactly, is anyone going to make a move? And if so, then who will make the first move? So they're having this standoff. 
And the time of the Dhuhr prayer, the, this incident of Banu Lihyan is so notable because no fighting took place, but it's notable for another reason. Number one, because it was a follow-up to the incident of Ar-Rajiyah. And secondly, because the time of Dhuhr comes. And when the time of Dhuhr comes, the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims, they basically, they, they line up and they pray Dhuhr prayer. Now that they offered the Dhuhr prayer, the, some of the mushrikun start to talk amongst each other and they say that, look, look, they're preoccupied. Let's go and try to attack quickly. But they say, no, 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 it's okay. We don't have to attack now. They had become familiar with the Muslims and their practices enough where they said that, however, what these people are going to do is they have another prayer shortly thereafter. And they were talking about Asr prayer. And said that they are going to end up praying again. So why don't we do this? Why don't we just hold off? We don't have to attack them now. We'll just bide our time. We'll wait till the Asr prayer. They are going to end up praying and they actually made a comment. They said that, تَأْتِي عَلَيْهِمْ الْآنِ صَلَاةٌ هِيَ أَحَبُّ إِلَيْهِمْ مِنْ أَبْنَائِهِمْ وَأَنفُسِهِمْ Because very soon, another prayer time is going to come on them. And prayer, salah, is more beloved to these people than their own lives and their own families. That they value prayer so much. They value the salah so much. Even the mushrikun knew that about the Muslims. And so they wait for the asr prayer. When the time for the Asr prayer comes, before the time of the Asr prayer comes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends revelation to the Prophet And I'd like to share uh, the passage with you. It's from Surah An-Nisa, which is um, Surah number 4. And I, I'll be sharing with you ayahs number 101 to 104. Even though the crux of the incident is ayah number 102. Ayah number 102 is the key ayah here in this conversation discussion. But just to give you the full context and the full passage and an appreciation for what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here, I'll share with you ayahs 101 to 104. They are lengthier ayahs, but nevertheless, I'll go through them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذَا ضَرَبْتُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ that when you are traveling, فَلَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ أَن تَقْصُرُوا مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ Then there is no harm, there is no uh, accountability, or there is no uh, problem with you um, shortening the prayer. Like it is not bad, it is not sinful for you to shorten the prayer. إِنْ خِفْتُمْ أَنْ يَفْتِنَكُمُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا that even if you are afraid that those who disbelieve might try to cause you some type of harm. Or rather, if you fear that those who disbelieve will try to cause you some harm, then shorten the prayer. So this is the first concession that was offered in Islam, and we know this as qasr, the shortening of the prayer. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, if you are traveling, you can shorten the prayer. If you are facing some type of difficult situation, which means you might even be in Medina. You might be in Medina, but you have an army at the gates of Medina trying to attack you. Then you can also shorten the prayer. Alright, so it's basically saying either while you're traveling or under duress, you can shorten the prayer. And we are familiar with the shortening of the prayer, the qasar of the prayer. Because these disbelievers, they are very clear, open, declared enemies against you. They have declared their animosity for you. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذَا كُنْتَ فِيهِمْ And when you are amongst them, O Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
And I'll comment on this in just a minute. فَأَقَمْتَ لَهُمُ الصَّلَاةَ And you are standing up for the prayer. You are establishing the prayer. You have made the call to prayer and you have gathered the people together to pray. فَلْتَقُمْ طَائِفَةٌ مِّنْهُمْ مَعَكْ Then split up the Muslims into two groups. Split the Muslims into two groups. The army into two groups. One group should come and stand with you in the prayer. They should bring their weapons with them and kind of keep them with them. Either lay them down or kind of, you know, um, sheath their swords, kind of put them on their bodies. However, they keep their weapons on them, strap on their weapons or lay them down, but they should keep their weapons with them, not, lay, not put them away. But bring their weapons, strap them away, or put them right down next to them or in front of them. And you lead them in the prayer. But you're already praying the qasr, right? You're only praying two rakahs. So you pray one rakah, فَإِذَا سَجَدُوا And when you do the second sajda of the first rakah, everybody with me so far? Right? So when you do the sajda of the second rakah, and you stand back up for the, for, when you do the second sajda of the first rakah, and you stand up for the second rakah, فَلْيَكُونُوا مِنْ وَرَائِكُمْ Then the people that were praying with you, should go and stand. And, and so while one group was praying with you, the other group, where were they? They were standing guard on the front line, holding off the enemy. So the enemy sees that there are soldiers, arrows drawn, short, swords drawn, that are basically standing there at the front line, ready to fight, ready to defend. But when you stand up for the second rakah, the group that was praying with you leaves the prayer. They leave the prayer. They had their weapons with them. Remember, they were strapped on or sitting right next to them. They get their weapons and they leave the prayer. And the group that was standing guard, they, once these soldiers who have left the prayer go and now they stand up on the line, the group that was standing guard now comes and joins in behind you as you are standing there. لَمْ يُصَلُّوا فَلْيُصَلُّوا مَعَكَ now they will pray with you, the second rak'ah. And when they come and pray with you, they should also bring their weapons, strap them up, tuck them away, and they should pray with their weapons within reach, in case a situation breaks out. That these enemies, what they want more than anything else, is لَوْ تَغْفُلُونَ عَنْ أَسْلِحَتِكُمْ وَأَمْتِعَتِكُمْ they want you to become careless. They want you to become neglectful about the battle. They want you to forget where you placed your weapons. They want you to forget about the battle and the, the battlefield and the situation. So that when you are in the middle of prayer, then they can swiftly attack you and finish you off in your prayer. So don't give them that opportunity is what Allah is saying. وَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْكُمْ إِنْ كَانَ بِكُمْ أَذَمْ مِنْ مَطَرٍ أَوْ كُنْتُمْ مَرْضَىٰ أَنْ تَضَعُوا أَسْلِحَتَكُمْ However, if you are sick, if you are ill, or there's very severe weather, you can even put away your weapons, which means that basically you can retreat back. If many people are injured, or it starts to pour in rain, and the weather gets very difficult, you can even retreat away from there. وَخُذُوا حِذْرَكُمْ Just always be very careful, Allah says. And this shows the balance of our deen. Because we have one problem, we have one problem, and the problem is that we are very spiritually neglectful. We are extremely spiritually neglectful. Anything and everything distracts us from our prayer. 
everything else is important enough and a big deal enough to the extent where it makes us forget our prayer and be neglectful of our salah. That's one extreme. And that's very problematic. So the obvious lesson here is that even in the battlefield, even in the battlefield, prayer still never goes away. Think about that. And here I am asking questions. Oh, uh, what if I'm on the highway and, uh, you know, taking the exits a lot of trouble. And, um, you know, and so maybe, right? We, 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 need, we just need any excuse. What if it's really cold? You know, what if I'm kind of feeling not so well? Ajib, right? So, but over here, even in the battlefield, they're praying. Even in the battlefield, they're praying. That's, so one extreme is that, unfortunately, that many of us are plagued by. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be more spiritually vigilant. But that's one extreme. But the other extreme that somebody could go to is that khushu'ah. Right? That even I'm praying in the middle of the road, and a bus is going to come. Khushu'ah, brother. Khushu'ah. I can't move from my prayer. If a bus hits me, then shaheed. Right? That's the opposite, stupid extreme. And that's, that's, not, that's, that's reprehensible as well. That's not what we're commanded to do in our deen. hidrakum. Allah says, be careful. Look out for yourselves. Watch your back. Keep your guard up. Right? Be very careful and cautious. hidrakum. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ أَعَدَّ لِلْكَافِرِينَ عَذَابًا مُهِنًا and as far as these people who are trying to distract you from your prayer, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept a very severe punishment for them. May Allah protect us all. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَإِذَا قَضَيْتُمُ الصَّلَاةَ When you are done with the prayer, because some of the sahaba kind of felt a weight on their hearts. Obviously, we've heard about the prayer of the sahaba. The prayer of the Prophet is amazing, remarkable. But even the prayer of the sahaba, we've read about it. Right? The khushu'ah that they had in the prayer. The way they used to enjoy their prayer. They loved praying. So, we, so the sahaba kind of felt a little, their hearts felt heavy. Because imagine what the quality of that particular prayer would be. You're standing and praying with your sword kind of right there tied to you. Right? And you pray one rak'ah and then you got to retreat back to the battle line and the other group comes and you're, even while you're praying, you're very cognizant of the fact you're in a battlefield. Right? So they kind of had a heavy heart. So Allah says, فَإِذَا قَضَيْتُمُ الصَّلَاةَ Look, it's a tough situation. You make the best of it. فَذْكُرُ اللَّهَ فَذْكُرُ اللَّهَ When you're done with your salah, you can still connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and connect your heart to Allah. Maintain the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why even the battle cries of the sahaba like even in the battlefield was what? Allahumma la aisha illa aishu al-akhirah. Faghfir lil-ansara wal-muhajirah. That oh Allah, there is no life. There is nothing better than the life of the hereafter. Forgive the ansar and the muhajireen. Nahnu alladheena bayi'oon muhammada ala al-jihadi ma baqina abada. We are the ones who have given the oath of allegiance to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa That we will stand and fight as long as we are alive. Like even their battle cries were the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when you are done with the prayers, remain engaged in the remembrance of Allah. قِيَامًا وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَى جُنُوبِكُمْ Standing, sitting, and even lying on your sides. فَإِذَا طُمَأْنَنْتُمْ فَأَقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةِ And as soon as the battle is over and the situation is safe, then pray. 
and enjoy your prayer now. إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ كَانَتْ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ كِتَابًا مَوْقُوتًا Allah says the prayer, salah, is a fixed obligation upon the believers. It has timings. It has timings. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَهِنُوا فِي ابْتِغَاءِ الْقَوْمِ And at the same time, don't lose your spirit. Maintain your, your, your vigor and your spirit in standing up to those who would oppress you and to those who, do, who have done wrong to you. Fight them with all your might. وَلَا تَهِنُوا فِي ابْتِغَاءِ الْقَوْمِ إِن تَكُونُوا تَعْلَمُونَ فَإِنَّهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ كَمَا تَعْلَمُونَ If you are feeling physically worn out, you're worn out, you're tired, you're fatigued, you're injured, you're hurt, then know that they feel the same pain that you do. But, وَتَرْجُونَ مِنَ اللَّهِ مَا لَا يَرْجُونَ But you have a spiritual energy and power that they do not have. You have the hope and the connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they don't even know what that's like. So physically, even if you're not feeling the same pain that they are, maybe you're even in a physically worse situation than the enemy is. But your heart is stronger. وَتَرْجُونَ مِنَ اللَّهِ مَا لَا يَرْجُونَ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing and all-wise. So this is the passage uh, from the Qur'an that was revealed at this particular time. Now, very quickly, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because it's obviously, you know, um, it's more of a fiqh uh, conversation and even some, you know, some of even our teachers... Uh, basically explained and expressed to us, not only is it more of a fiqh subject, Salatul Khawf, the prayer in a situation of distress, um, that not only is it a detailed fiqh issue, an advanced fiqh issue, but on top of that, it's one that's not immediately relevant to most of us. Right? And so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but just to appreciate the history from the life of the Prophet ﷺ. And also the importance of how the Sahaba, the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba would not abandon prayer, even in the most adverse of situations and even in the battlefield. Just to share a little bit of that detail with you, that the scholars have compiled um, all the situations in which the Prophet ﷺ offered Salatul Khawf. And it's mentioned that there were four... Uh, places where Salatul Khawf was offered by the Prophet ﷺ, this prayer of the distressed. In the incident of Dhatul Riqah, it was also offered um, at the place of uh, Batul Nakhal. Um, it was also offered at the place of Usfan uh, that we're talking about. And then it was also offered at the place of the Qirad, the Qarad, which will be the next incident that we'll be talking about in the following session, inshallah. And um, it was how many of a total number of prayers were offered in this format by the Prophet ﷺ with the Sahaba. So the scholars have compiled that about 24 prayers were offered in this format. In these four incidents, about 24 prayers were offered in this particular format. And What's also very fascinating is that the Prophet of Allah وسلم, he actually offered this prayer in a few different formats. And that's why there's a difference of opinion among some of the scholars as to what is the preferable format, what format they prefer. There's a number of different methods. Um, there are three that are most notable that the scholars kind of differ upon. 
But nevertheless, all of them are offered by the Prophet ﷺ. They are all authentically narrated by the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, and so they are all valid. But scholars give preference to different methods based on different factors. Um, and there's even some discussion, as I, as I pointed out in the ayah, وَإِذَا كُنْتَ فِيهِمْ When you are amongst them. Right? Somebody could ask a logistical question that very respectfully... Why is all why why are we going to all this trouble when people could just basically go and pray in shifts? Right? You could just have 10 people at a time or 20 people at a time or 30 people at whatever. Whatever number you decide makes sense based on the number of the army. Why couldn't people just go and pray in that small little quick mini shifts and just come back? Right? Why go through this big entire scenario? So the scholars provide two reasons, right? Why this was so important to the Sahaba. Number one was because if you know that there's going to be two shifts or four shifts or ten shifts for the Salah, isn't one of them inevitably going to be with the Prophet Right? Of course. And if that was going to happen, even amongst us right here, right? If there's, we're going to break up into three groups, and you know, this brother will lead one of the groups, and this brother will lead the second group, and the Prophet ﷺ is leading the third group. Those two brothers will probably try to get into the third group as well, wouldn't they? Can we all agree in regards to that? Yes. That's one thing the Ummah agrees upon. Right? Everybody wants to pray with the Prophet ﷺ. Especially if you consider the fact you're in the battlefield. You, this might be the last salah you ever pray. I'm going to pray with the Prophet ﷺ. Right? So who wants to pray in the other group? Oh, you know, you should love for your brother what you love for yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's nice when it's a bagel. Pray your salah, I want to pray with Muhammad Rasulullah ﷺ. It's the love of the Prophet ﷺ. You can't replace it. You cannot. Very interesting, you know, when we say love for your brother what you love for yourself, but it's very fascinating that, you know, just to demonstrate that how the love of the Prophet ﷺ superseded even that principle for the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum. That one time the Prophet ﷺ was sitting and to his right was Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, who is younger, who's a young man. A boy you can even call, a young boy, a young man. And on his left is none other than Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, radiallahu ta'ala, who is a senior, much, much senior to Abdullah bin Abbas. And so we know that the general rule is, so somebody brings somebody, the Prophet, somebody brings the Prophet like a bowl of milk. And the Prophet drinks from it. Now the rule is Al-Ayman Fal-Ayman. Ibda'u bil-Yameen. That you start with the right side. So the bowl of milk should first go to Abdullah ibn Abbas. But we also know about Ihtiramul Kabir. Respecting your elders. Very important. And so the Prophet ﷺ looks at Abdullah ibn Abbas and he says, Listen, son, listen. You're on the right. Comes to you. He's your elder. He's the Abu Bakr. Right? So, if you give permission, 
he'll drink first. And Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, he says, you know, of course I respect my elder, and he's Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, I would always defer to him, except when it comes to you. I want to drink your leftovers, like I want to drink after you. I want that blessing. So Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he has my utmost respect. But I can't put him, I can't put him first when it comes to access to you. Right? So that was the love of the Prophet ﷺ. So everybody wanted to pray with the Prophet ﷺ. So that's one reason why there needed to be some resolution to this. The second issue is that, and this is the, think about the leadership philosophy of the Prophet ﷺ and how the Prophet ﷺ paid very close attention to the psyche, the morale, the attitude of his team, his people, his followers, his community, where if everyone's going off, breaking off and praying in small, small shifts, what does that at some level do? That kind of mentally scatters everyone. But if you have one big prayer taking place, that even though it involves two groups kind of going and coming, but everybody's involved in the same task together. Right? We talk about team building activities. And we fight together. We pray together. And if we die, we die together. And we go to paradise together. Think about how you know, attentive and in tune the Prophet ﷺ was with the mentality, the psyche, the mindset of his team. The ultimate example in leadership. And so that's something the Prophet ﷺ, So for these two reasons, scholars say, this is the wisdom of this format of Salatul Khawf. Some scholars, because it says, وَإِذَا كُنْتَ فِيهِمْ When you are amongst them, some scholars, you know, uh, posited the theory that, well, Salatul Khawf was specific to the Prophet ﷺ. Because who after the Prophet ﷺ holds that much, like, love and respect that everybody wants to pray with him? And, you know, so that was unique to the Prophet ﷺ. And after him, it's no longer... Uh, legislated for anyone who comes afterwards. However, that's not the position of the majority, vast overwhelming majority of the scholars, because even some of the khulafa, some of the, the successors to the Prophet, the Sahaba, they also offered the prayer together in the format of Salatul Khawf, because even if that first benefit is not there of the Prophet, the second benefit is most definitely still in place, and that is it maintains the unity of the entire team. Alright, so that's why Salatul Khawf was something that was that you know, theoretically, is still uh, something that could be practiced. And then there's just uh, a discussion about some of the different uh, formats in which it's offered, but that'll go into a lot of detail, so I'll, I'll spare you um, a lot of that discussion, and plus it'll probably uh, just end up getting really confusing after a while. Um, but coming back to it, the Prophet ﷺ offered the Salatul Khawf, and they prayed in this particular format, and it's, uh, it's actually mentioned that not one, but maybe multiple prayers were offered at this particular place in this format uh, of Salatul Khawf. But eventually after some time of the standoff between the, the, the army or the cavalry that Khalid bin Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu had come with and the Muslims that they ended up you know, retreating both sides ended up pulling away and there was not any fighting at this particular time. And the Muslims, they returned back 
to the city of Medina and no fighting took place. They went there to seek out the people of Banu Lihyan who had retreated, which is a defeat you know, uh, in and of itself that they fled and from their own homes and they retreated um, for the murder and the massacre of the Sahaba that they had committed. And secondly, that uh, cavalry that had come from Mecca to intimidate the Muslims ended up going back as well. There was no fighting in this particular incident. And the Prophet wasallam and the Muslims were able to return back to the city of Medina safe and sound. And uh, we'll go ahead and stop and pause here. And inshallah, in the next session, we'll discuss one of the major incidents of the sixth year uh, of the life of the Prophet ﷺ in the city of Medina, which is Ghazwatu the Qarad, uh, the incident of the Qarad. And we'll talk about that in the following session. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to be devoted and dedicated to our salah and prayer. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us quality and khushu within our salah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us regular, consistent, and steadfast with our prayers. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to remain regular with our prayers till our very last breath. Jazakumullah khairan. Subhanallah bihamdihi. Subhanakallah bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nasakfiru wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum.